0: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. In three, two, one things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie East, and this, this is the Sunday Sun. On today's episode, new study results mean you might want to postpone your next manicure, scientists control lightning with the power of lasers, and we say farewell to an aviation giant. But first, it was on this day in 1971, Apollo 14, the third US manned moon expedition, landed near the Fra Mauro crater. clock is ticking and its hands are getting close to midnight, or in the case of the doomsday clock, to the end of humanity.
1: Today, the members of the Science and Security Board move the hands of the doomsday clock forward. We move the clock forward the closest it has ever been to midnight.
0: Since its inception in 1947, the doomsday clock's been designed to represent how close the world is to the threat of a global catastrophe. Once a year, the keepers of the clock move its time forward and back to warn humanity about how close we are to the end of life as we know it. And as of January the 24th, The clock's inched another 10 seconds closer to midnight, the closest we've ever been. Steve Fetter is a member of the Science and Security Board who was part of the announcement and says the conflict in Ukraine has been one of the main contributing factors to the clock's new time setting.
1: Nuclear risks increased significantly last year due largely to Russia's unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. Putin has repeatedly raised the specter of
0: nuclear use. Alongside the threat of nuclear use, the continuing threats posed by the climate crisis, as well as the breakdown of institutions needed to combat biological threats like Covid, also played a role. As Cambridge University expert on existential threat, Paul Ingram explains, nuclear use has always been a concern for the scientist who created the clock. It uh, emerged at the beginning of the Cold War to, uh, to give a sense of the urgency uh, to achieve nuclear disarmament and to climb out of the abyss that we were facing in the early 1950s. When it first started ticking, it sat at seven minutes to midnight. But just two years later, when the USSR tested its first atomic bomb, the hands were moved four minutes forward. In 1991, as the Cold War cooled down, the clock was set at its furthest time from the catastrophe, 17 minutes to midnight. In the years since, the clock's hands steadily crept closer. In 2020, geopolitical tensions and the climate crisis pushed the hand to just 100 seconds to midnight. Tonight, the desperate battle to contain California's historic fires is now a race against time. But now, in 2023, the the panel warns that humanity's existence is at greater risk than ever before. If we maintain an addiction to competition and to conflict as a way of managing our social interactions and our interactions with the ecosystems, uh, we will perish. It's a stern warning all around, but as Paul shared with WION News, not all is lost. I think as the threats get larger and that we become more aware and we understand them better, there is hope that we do change our practices and the way we think and the approach these things. doesn't want a manicure. If your nails look good, you feel good. And a very popular type of manicure ends with a gel finish. It looks sharp, and the colour stays on longer. But the gel must be cured, and in some cases that means sticking parts of your hand under a small UV lamp. But now, according to a new study, the UV light coming out of these lamps could be doing you harm. Researchers at the University of California, San Diego and the University of Pittsburgh have found that UV can damage DNA and cause mutations in human cells, potentially increasing your risk of developing skin cancer.
1: We wanted to understand their molecular effects and their cellular effects.
0: That's Maria Zivegi, the study's lead author. In the lab, Maria and her colleagues exposed different types of cells to the UV radiation emitted from the devices. They found chronic use can lead to cell death and cancer-causing mutations. Cells mutated even after one 20-minute session.
1: This is very concerning because at this level, we know that these UV radiation are actually affecting the deep layers of our skin. These
0: mutations that we observed experimentally do match and resemble the mutation pattern observed in human cancers especially the skin cancer and while more studies obviously needed to determine if the machines increase cancer risk zoveju recommends limiting exposure to these devices make sure to use preventive measures for example gloves or sunscreen on the hands before going in the machine the reward may not be worth the risk still to come on the sunday seven the threat of ai in the media and why tiktok's ceo is testifying before the u.s congress
1: of white where youth worker olivia coleman and her husband jay-z a mature student and line dancing enthusiast found their forever home and before long had added to their family
0: if that combination of celebrity names and situations has got you scratching your head, don't worry. This is a clip from ITVX's landmark comedy, Deepfake Neighbour Wars. From Phoebe Waller-Bridge nicking Rihanna's pants to Jay-Z having it out with Tom Hiddleston, this silly comedy uses AI tech to put A-list celebs in humdrum situations. It presents AI generations of famous faces to an audience in the first-of-its-kind comedy. And according to one deepfake expert, up to 90% of online content will be generated or created using artificial intelligence by 2025. Nina Schick, author of Deep Fakes and the Infocalypse, has predicted an explosion of this type of content as we enter a new era of entertainment which is powered by this new technology. Speaking on Radio 4 today about the future of AI in Hollywood and beyond,
1: she said... Everything you've seen with regards to special effects in movies before, which would have been intensely laborious, intensely expensive to create artificial intelligence, is going to democratise that. It's going to make it better, it's going to make it faster, and it's going to make it cheaper. So you're entering this new era of unbelievable entertainment. We're looking at things like an actor's voice being able to be synthesized by AI so they can speak in different languages. You can de-age them with AI filters. And whilst it's going to be really exciting for entertainment, let's not forget that this suite of So called generative AI technologies are also going to be deployed outside the world of entertainment. So the Mm. implications for the future of content are just. So profound.
0: Henry Ader, advisor on deepfakes and generative AI, also joined the discussion where he raised key ethical questions in the film industry.
1: In the film industry in particular, there are some really key questions around things like consent in the case of what we call synthetic resurrection, right? Bringing back deceased actors for new films um, where their faces swapped over a body double or perhaps their entire likeness is synthetically recreated. Um, we're seeing some really interesting questions around the legal aspect of this, right? You know, if I license my face for a film, um, how then can it be used in other productions? If I'm like a, an, an actor who's just breaking through, really excited to get a part um, and I sign a document um, or, or a contract, does that mean that those studios may be able to use my face or likeness in other ways? How am I going to get commercially uh, compensated for that? How much control do I have over my hyper-realistic, synthetic uh, likeness, my face, my voice. Um, And of course, disclosure, right? I mean, movie magic has been a part of Hollywood for for generations, um, but this perhaps really does change the way that we have to sort of help audiences understand what they're viewing, particularly when it does come down to uh, deceased individuals or perhaps uh, actors whose faces are um, not actually those on the body of the person who's doing the performance, so to speak.
0: The discussion came as viewers have been commenting on Deep Fake Neighbour Wars, which launched on ITV's streaming service on the 26th of January. Some viewers have been amused by the show, but others said they found it worrying and creepy. One tweeted,
1: That deep fake neighbor wars is by far the
0: weirdest show I've ever seen. And another said, Just seen a clip of deep fake neighbor wars. Absolutely hate what's happening with AI and what it means going forward. Despite potential concerns over the ethics of creating AI versions of very famous people, the creators of Deepfake Neighbour Wars told The Guardian they weren't concerned about the content of their programme. Show creator Spencer Jones told the newspaper, everything's silly. If you turn us on halfway through and think that the real Harry Kane really had his patio tile cracked by a stormzy, you might need to have a little look at yourself. I suppose it's got a bit of a point. TikTok's CEO, Xu Chu is about to testify before Congress over security concerns. He'll first face the Energy and Commerce Committee in March. Its chairs accuse TikTok of knowingly allowing the Chinese government to access American user data. It all comes as lawmakers are scrutinizing the Chinese-owned app and its future. TikTok has more than 100 million users in the U.S. And next month, the House Foreign Affairs Committee plans to hold a vote on a bill aimed at blocking its use over national security concerns. TikTok's tried to reassure Washington that its user data can't be accessed and that its content can't be manipulated by the Chinese government, but lawmakers have demanded more information. They want to know its impact on young people and details on potential sexual exploitation of minors on the platform. TikTok confirmed on Monday that Chu will testify. They, quote, welcome the opportunity to set the record straight. Still to come on the Sunday 7, scientists messing with lightning and primates singing their hearts out. Right after this. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. Three. Lightning strikes happen all the time. Like, seriously, all the time. We're talking dozens of strikes every second. Most of them are within clouds, but enough still hit the ground to cause some major damage. They can start forest fires, injure or kill people, and wreak havoc on buildings and power lines. To mitigate some of these risks, buildings around the world employ a simple technology demonstrated by a certain Benjamin Franklin back in the mid-1700s to protect against strikes. The lightning rod. When lightning strikes, the metal lightning rod concentrates the charge on the ground in one spot. Lightning's then more likely to strike this spot and less likely to strike the area around it. These rods are accessible ways of protecting against strikes, but the area they can protect is limited to a few meters or tens of meters. Now, for the first time ever, scientists have been able to actually steer lightning bolts with lasers. The technology is decades in the making, and the current laser system was developed over three years by a European consortium led by the University of Geneva and Paris's École Polytechnique. This new research paves the way for laser-based lightning protection systems at airports, launch pads and tall buildings. This is Clement Herkommer, one of the scientists working on the lasers.
1: The specificity of this laser is uh, that it combines uh, very many cutting-edge parameters. The average power, we are close to one kilowatt. Uh, the pulse energy per pulse we are close to one joule and the pulse duration we are at one picosecond. And uh, combined, these three parameters uh, require a very sophisticated uh, setups
0: and high technology. Over ten weeks of observation, the team spotted the laser diverting the course of four lightning events during six hours of thunderstorms, but only one strike on the 21st of July happened in clear enough conditions for the researchers to film the path of the lightning from two directions using high speed cameras several kilometres away. It was like a bolt out of the blue. They'd captured the image they have been chasing for more than 20 years. This is Professor Jean-Pierre Wolfe from the University of Geneva. Obviously, we have a lot more data to process afterwards. There are several images, the radio frequency interferometer, the x-rays, the simulations. But, this photo was so telling in itself that there was no room for doubt. When I saw the picture, I knew we had cracked it.
1: Chances are you've heard about the plane with the spiral staircase in first class. The plane with the two wide aisles and the three widescreen movies and the eight foot ceilings and economy. And chances are you've wondered who's going to get this incredible bird off the ground?
0: It was a fond farewell to the so called Queen of the Skies as Boeing delivered its final 747 aircraft to Atlas Air, marking the end of the jumbo jet era. Thousands of Boeing employees, including those who developed the jet in the 60s, watched the last delivery of the historic plane. Thomas H. Gray is one of them.
1: It's a certain amount of nostalgia, just thinking about the fact that it is uh, line number 1574.
0: Considering I was there on number one, it's, uh, it's been, been uh, quite a story. The 747 was the world's first twin-aisle jetliner, helping bring affordable air travel to millions of passengers. It was designed and built in 28 months, and Pan Am was the first airline to introduce it in 1970. However, in more recent years, customer demand has since eroded as Boeing and Airbus have developed more fuel-efficient planes. British entrepreneur Richard Branson, who was inspired to start an airline with a single Boeing 747, called it a wonderful beast as he bid farewell. Sound of an individual lar gibbon singing. As you'll notice, some of the notes repeat in regular rhythmic intervals and this is the sound of male and female lar singing duets. Male and female gibbons regularly sing together to define territory and form social bonds, and in doing so, they synchronize their notes with one another. Researchers found that in duets, notes from male and female singers overlap between 16 to 18% of the time, a rate of synchronization greater than chant. These are rhythmic qualities similar to those found in human songs, which scientists say could hint at an evolutionary basis for the origins of music. This ability has previously been noted in Indris, a type of lemur found in Madagascar, and the only other primate whose calls exhibit distinct rhythms related to those found in human music. The finding suggests evolution may have selected for such rhythmic capacities in primates as a way to coordinate vocal displays. However, it's unclear whether the last common ancestor of primates had synchronization abilities, or whether it emerged later through convergent evolution. More research is needed. Sing away, you funky gibbons. This has been the Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Small details are big surfaces? Tight corners are odd shapes? Flat, rounded, textured or tall? Whatever your next project...